Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, thank you for this day that you have made. Thank you for the house of God. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for those who have a heart to consider and to uh, be able to move in the direction of your instruction. We pray, Father God, that we, the light of the world, the salt of the earth, would make a difference in our generation to those that surround us. It seems to be that many are unacquainted with the message of heaven. Uh, Many have not even heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and some just consider it uh, entertainment and performance. We want this morning that your word might compel us to understand and to move in the direction of your salvation, of your redemption plan. So open our eyes. Open the eyes of our understanding. Uh, We welcome your word into our hearts, into our lives. Uh, Allow the descriptions of those details that you have placed in your word move us in the direction of God to please God with our lives and to be able to, uh, the season that we're here upon the earth, which your word says is brief and but a mist. It's here for momentary, uh, temporary. We pray, Father God, that it would be sufficient to enjoy your creation and to live for your glory. We pray that your word would be a good seed planted in good hearts that would give forth good fruit, Lord. We want to be ready at your coming. We want to not be ashamed. Uh, We want to be prepared for every good work, Lord. We pray that you be glorified and that you do exceedingly abundantly above what we've asked this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, my, My heart was not always inclined to this uh, sentiment, but I can't help uh, to love people that I care about. Number one, there's people that, that are very close to my heart. And number two, that they would be with me in heaven. Those are the two most important things that I can think about when, uh, when I, I look at the big picture of life is... Um, One thing, I want to go to heaven. And two, I want those who I love to be there with me. Um, The clarity by which I can make a contrast between being in heaven and not being in heaven becomes either a blessing or a curse to those that are around me. Uh, I want to have clarity of my conversation to not muck up the waters. A lot of people, when they begin to talk about these things, the more confusion they create, it's almost like they can postpone making a decision. And I want to tell you this morning that the biggest blessing that can befall any man or woman upon the earth is to be confronted by a preacher with the clarity of the issue of heaven or hell. And... I want to tell you, I became a Christian not because they convinced me. Uh, I wasn't convinced into heaven. Um, In fact, the person that spoke to me didn't have much convincing power. 
And so a lot of times we think, oh, if they could be more articulate, if they could be more descriptive. No, plainly, somebody put a finger in my face and told me I was going to hell. That was, that was the, 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 what are you going to do with that? And you can't stay indifferent to that scenario unless you don't know what hell is. It's, it's eternal condemnation. It's the result of forever, ever, ever, forever to be outside of the presence of God. And, and the place that God created for us to live. So for some people, um, they do not, or they, they do not uh, come to that being the issue because there's no argument in that regard. So um, I thank God, in my case, it was a nine-year-old little girl that, that confronted me with her little finger in my nose telling me I was going to hell. And so that caused the fear of God to come into my life, to move in the direction with inquiring. That, that caused me to go and find out where my standing was before God, and it gave me an opportunity to repent. Um, this word, uh, the, to turn away from, from what I was doing. Um, the people that are surrounding us in our lives now, they have not repented. Otherwise, they would be walking in the direction of God's pleasure and not their own. If there is no heaven and if there is no hell, then we can do whatever we want and we can live however we want and we can think that everything is well. But as soon as somebody gives you the clarity and shows you on the, that you're on the backside or the wrong side of eternal destiny, uh, you, you have to live with that in your conscience every day. Uh, I was talking to a friend. I've been talking to my friend. He's a lawyer for the past 25 years. And, and I, I asked him a question. I said, who's your favorite preacher? And he says, you are because you're the only one that has preached to me for 25 years. I go, you haven't even come to church. So how, how can I be your favorite preacher? You haven't heard me preach it. I'm inviting him. And he says, you've been preaching to me for 25 years. I've heard all your sermons. You've talked to me so many times. And then he goes, I don't understand why my mother-in-law, his mother-in-law is a Christian, married to the daughter, his, his mother-in-law is a Christian. I said, listen, for you to have a mother-in-law that wants you to be in heaven with her, that's a blessing. Another mother-in-law wants you to go to hell. You're like, burn in hell. But you have a mother-in-law that's, extending her hand and praying for you to get to heaven. So he's about to get here. He goes, send me the address. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. He's going to come. But 25 years and my concern, I said, I want you to be where I am. I want you to be in heaven with me. I don't want you to miss it. And, and you're making it so much, so confusing. You're bringing up all these issues. And he, he asked me this question. How are we supposed to know that the next Messiah is the one who he is with all these kooks around here? They're all fake. I said, listen, the one who came was real already. And, and why are you talking about the one that's to come when you don't even believe the one who already came? And, and, and so that's, that's the dilemma. But here, what's happening is heaven or hell with a soul that I love, that I care for, a friend, a, a, a person that I, I'm, I want him to be saved. And so those are my conversations even this month, uh, this week, speaking with him. 
So he asked me to send him the address of the church. He'll be coming around. But the greatest blessing to any man or a woman, like we said last week in Paul, when he meets Onesimus, a runaway slave, I, was, I kept on saying, what did Paul say to this runaway slave who had all the arguments not to go back to his master? What did he say? And I have to believe that he, he fast forward the, the video. The, he gave him an illustration, a demonstration of Onesimus before the throne of God. And so fast forward your life to that moment and, and find out, are you living life with that urgency and expectation that you're going to be accountable to God for your brief period here upon the earth? And then a, a lot of people tell me, I don't want you to scare me into heaven. Listen, whatever it takes. What does it take for you to take God serious? If, if, if I describe heaven's reality with the streets of gold, with the heavenly chorus, with the, with the host of angels, with an eternal bliss of joy and peace and righteousness and an eternity in God's presence, if that's not motivating you to move in that direction with all due seriousness, then let me talk to you a little bit about hell. Let me get you to understand you don't want to come to this place. So I think that in our generation, the lack of contrast, the 50 shades of I'm okay because look at everybody else. Compared to everybody else, I'm doing good. Yeah, but 90% of the people are going to hell. And you're comparing yourself with a bunch of people that don't even have God in their thoughts. And they're just living as if God, didn't under, God wasn't going to keep accounts. Um, I, I really think that a preacher like Paul to Onesimus, the runaway slave, um, it, it, it cures your lack of passion to live for God. If we lived with eternity in sight, a lot of our thinking would be different. Uh, this week, three people died here locally. And I told my friend that. I said, listen, a, little, a young man, 19 years old, was driving his boat down the canal here in the Keys and, and he, they hit an underwater marker. He went flying and died. 19 years old. He was the captain of the lacrosse team at Westminster. It's a Christian family. He died. Two ladies were going to the ferry across Fisher Island. And nobody noticed at night. And their, their car backed out and fell into the water. And both of them drowned here. Right off the, the, the bayfront here. Um, they didn't find out till the morning. They said, wait a second, there's something broken here, and this car must have, and so they sent some divers, and they found the car at the bottom of, of that portion of the entrance of the bay, and two ladies from New York were on vacation, and their car rolled off the ferry, and they both drowned this week. And then this young girl who is rollerblading um, in Pompano Beach, and she gets run over by a car. She's rollerblading. She wasn't thinking about heaven or hell or eternity, nothing. But we cannot sit there and see. And I told my friend, he goes, people die all the time. I go, yeah, but you're still alive, mister. You're still alive. That means God is still extending his mercy on your life. And, and we're counting down the seconds and the minutes. Because you don't know when you're going to be gone. And you're making plans like you're not. And, and I believe that the greatest motivator of our passion are people that would make us take God serious. This uh, Kobe Bryant and his daughter, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, 
if they were thinking about eternity, you know, they would have lived life differently. And so for us to be surrounded by this is not a fire and brimstone sermon, but it would, listen, I want to be uh, clear that the closer we get to this reality, we live with uh, more moral clarity. Don't, don't live with the 50 shades of gray and I'm okay and then God knows. No, no, listen to me. Here it goes. A real preacher will bring you right there to seconds before heaven or hell. And so Jesus would, would say these words in Revelation 3, verse 15. I see the way you live life and you're neither cold nor hot. You're sitting on the convenience and the comforts of lukewarmness. You're not living life on the edge. You're not living life on the cutting uh, forefront of eternity. Verse 16, he goes, I wish that you were cold or hot, but because you're indifferent, you're lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And so uh, for all those people that are laid back and easy and, and don't exert too much influence on me, pressing me too, because when I feel pressed, I, I don't like it. Listen, I don't know what you like or don't like, but you're, you're not to be in the middle. You're not to be straddling the fence. You're not to be indifferent. And, 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 and a lot of, not us, but a lot of our friends and families are, and, and this is why verse 17 says why. Because you say to yourself, I'm rich. Because you say I'm comfortable. Because you says that there's nothing. Um, uh, yesterday, Joshua was sharing about the fact that, God, where are you in the midst of all these things that I'm going through? And I'm saying, like, listen, if you're desperate for God, you'll find God. If you're thirsty for God, you're going to find God. If you're hungry for God, you're going to find God. And when you, when you have, uh, and I thank God for this. He says like this. He, last night he was saying, I'm 23 years old, and I've never prayed to God on my knees. And, and, and he says, for the first time in my life, I felt so desperate that I'm getting down on my knees in my bed. I said, that's a blessing. That's a blessing for him to be going through a desert in his life of desperation of saying, I better get in the posture where I can find God. And when you are healthy, when everything is going good, when everything seems to be good, he says, I'm rich. I have no need of anything. I'm wealthy. I need nothing. I'm comfortable. You do not know that you're wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. And, and how could people that are in this state, wretched, without hope, without a future, destined to doom, miserable, poor, blind, they can't see it, naked, they're not prepared. Uh, the Bible says that we will be covered in God's salvation. These people are going into eternity thinking everything's okay. And the Lord's going to say, how dare you come like that into my presence? No humility, no repentance. No blood covering your sins, and you're going to walk in eternity like if you're entitled to being there? My friend, it's going to be a scary day for a lot of people, especially what the Bible says he's going to say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. 
Imagine having to be turned away from heaven's salvation. So this guy thinks he has it all in and he has nothing. So I want to get to the place this morning and I hope I have time. Um, am I guilty or am I forgiven? Have my sins been washed away? Do I feel that there's been a legitimate repentance before God of the things that are uh, pending? Now, when, when we talk about this, I know who caused me to turn, and to this day, I'm conscious of the fact that I need to repent every day. I didn't repent 36 years ago when I was confronted with going to hell, but every day is keeping accounts before the Lord and, and repenting. So here in Matthew 3, 7, John the Baptist sees the Pharisees coming up to the water's edge of the Jordan. He's baptizing those who repent, and, and he sees the Pharisees coming over like, what are you guys doing here? What's the, what's the business? And John the Baptist turns to them and he says, hey, my friend. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism to check out what's going on, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You must not have got the message with the clarity you need because you're still acting like you're on your high self-righteous horse. Instead of these Sadducees and these Pharisees coming and saying, we want to repent, we want to get right with God, they came over to say, let me see what, what's going on here. And, and John the Baptist turns to them and says, listen, whoever told you about what's coming down the road didn't tell you the way they needed to tell you. You didn't get the descriptions. Otherwise, you would not be acting like you're acting. And so sometimes we, we ask the question, has are the people even heard? And if they haven't heard, why haven't you been a blessing in their life that they're going to be in hell forever? They're going to be destitute. They're going to be distant from their eternal salvation. Why? Because nobody's warned them. Or the way that you warned them, uh, you guys know the story. Um, here comes the judgment of God to Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and Lot turns to his son-in-laws and says, Hey, guys, aquí viene el fuego. Aquí viene la destrucción. Salga corriendo. In Spanish, get the heck out of here. The judgment of God is coming. And they start laughing. <laughs> Mira el viejo. El viejo thinks that, that this is going to, look at this strong city. Look at this vibrant, everything's happening here. God, man, they started, Lot started running. The son-in-law stayed. The daughters left, but his wife looked back. She had something in that city that delayed her exit, and she perished in judgment. Uh, she, too, wasn't able to, to get a warning to flee appropriately. I, I want to ask you guys the question. Who have you warned about the coming wrath of God. That was part and parcel. Hebrews 9.27, some people say, so I'm a, in the afterlife, I'll come back as a tree. In the afterlife, I'll come as a bear. In the afterlife, I'll become rich. In the afterlife, no, my friend, it is appointed for men to die once. You're only going to have one shot at this, and then what comes? 
Then comes judgment. After this, the judgment. What judgment? Nobody's told me about judgment. Yes, my friend, God will judge every single person according to what they did upon the earth. Everything is going to be measured. Don't let anybody take that from you because you're to live life with the understanding that you will give it to an account to God for everything you do. And this message we need to make evident to those that are in our lives. Acts chapter 20 verse 21. There was no lack of clarity in Paul's message with regards to repentance. When he testified to the Jews and also to the Gentiles, he talked to them about repentance he says, get right before God and turn your faith to Jesus Christ. This was, this was Paul's message. And he, that's why I think that when he was with Onesimus, he told Onesimus, listen, buddy, you're running straight to hell. You need to go back and repent and get right with your master. And before God, give an account to God, not live like a fugitive. What a blessing to run into a preacher. What a blessing to run into somebody who's not going to tell you what you want to hear. Uh, many men have said, I don't go to your church because I feel that it's too serious. Serious, my friend? What do you want, a comedian? You, you want to laugh all the way to hell? No, my friend, listen to me. You're accountable with your gifts, with your time, with your talents to put them in the hand of God for the best return. And one man says, well, I decided to stop going to church because my kid wants to go to another church. I said, well, why don't you give your kid your business? No, because he loves money. And he would rather bankrupt his spiritual life, but not his livelihood. Why? Because he doesn't take the kingdom of God serious. To him, he'd rather forfeit his inheritance and, and make believe that he doesn't have to pick the best place for the kingdom purposes and economy. Repent. Turn your faith. Now, turn the way you're living. Here's 2 Corinthians 5.11. He says, because we know the terror of the Lord. My friend, have you ever talked to somebody about the vicious terror of the Lord? Oh, God is good. He's going to forgive everybody. There's no wrath. There's no judgment. There's no lake of fire. There's no brimstone. And Why are you guys exaggerating? No, my friend, listen to me. There is a hell. There is a lake of fire. There is judgment. There is wrath. We, we don't look at these, you know, we know the, the we know the, what's it called? The, the love of God, but we know the severity of God. He said like this, therefore, because we know the terror of the Lord, that convinces us to persuade men. Well, I thought it was because we knew the love of God, we persuade men. No, no, a thousand times no. Take God as serious as you know how to take. And we're living in a generation nobody's heard about any wrath. We, we, there's no punishment. We can do as we want. God is nice. We persuade men, but we are well known to God and also trust that we're well known before your conscience. We're living like that. Why? Verse 10, the previous verse says why. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things um, he did in his body according to what he has done, whether what he did was right or wrong, good or bad. There is a measure, there is a weight, there is a balance. 
And because we know we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, there is a judgment that everybody receives what they did while they were in their body. Verse 11, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And, and again, I, I tell you that I, I want to make it black and white. A lot of people say, well, Pastor, you're so black and white. Yeah, I want to make it black and white. I want to make it sure that we're going to be in heaven. I don't want to miss any gray here. Oops, I'm sorry I didn't tell you. I, I didn't talk about it. I didn't bring it up. So we know that in that regards. We know that Christ is the perfect sacrifice, 1 John 2, 2. For he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. We know that Christ is the he is the appropriation for our sins. He made the payment, not for ours only, but for the whole world. He's able to rectify where we are twisted. So here it is, one of these verses, Revelations 14, 19. You tell me what this means. So the angel swung the sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth. So here the angel's like, it's time. You're cut off, now you're in eternity. And he says, and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Everybody coming before the winepress of God's wrath. You're like, who is that? Is that my son? Is that my daughter? Is that my grandchildren? Is that my neighbor? Is that my husband? Is that my children? Who, who is it that ends up in this uh, wine press of the wrath of God? When they give a description of hell, a lot of people don't want to understand that. And it says it's plainly, unspeakingly terrible. Without any experience of good, without no sight of beauty, without any pleasant sounds, no bodily pleasures, no gratified or satisfied appetites, no desires, no hopes fulfilled. Those who joke around hell saying that they want to go to hell, they'd rather go to hell because all their drinking buddies are there instead of being in heaven with prude, stuffy saints are ignorant of hell's reality. It's not funny. They will not be having a good time in hell. Jesus describes it in Mark chapter 9, verse 43. If your hand causes you to stumble in sin, cut it off. Remove it as the source of temptation. It's better to enter crippled into heaven than have two hands go into hell in its unquenchable fire. Mark 9, 43. He talks about this. Get rid of anything that's going to put you within the danger of hell's fire. Anything in your life that causes you to sin, cut it off. Anything that causes you to be indifferent to God. Anything that makes you conveniently and comfortably laid back. Because it's better rather having to, two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. That's how he describes it. Verse 44, he says, it's where the worm doesn't die. The worm does not die. The fire is not quenched. This description of hell in verse 46 Verse 47, and if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast in the hell's fire. Verse 48, this place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. 
I want to tell you that if we have an awesome nightmare tonight where we find ourselves surrounded for eternity in that awful place. I, I was having a, a disturbing dream last night and it caused me to bring up this message. I, I, I was hanging out since we were having dinner last night with Caleb. It was me and Caleb. We were walking and I got stuck at a mall and I was preaching to some people and Caleb went along and he waited for me outside at the parking lot. As we were going to the parking lot, he says, man, do you preach all the time? Because I took a long time inside the mall talking to these other people. I go, yeah, with everybody I come across, I preach. And I, I ran into one guy right there in the parking lot and, and I, I confronted him and he says, no, I'm having legal problems. I need a lawyer. We'll figure, right? <laughs> and I says, what's your problem? He goes, no, I'm being accused of something. And I was like, what? He says, they said I tried to steal a baby at the hospital, me and my wife. And I was like, steal a baby at the hospital? And I said, you know something? Um, this, is, this is crazy, but uh, I know the judge in that case, and I could talk to the judge, but you got to tell me the truth. And he says, I'm part of a satanic cult, and we stole the baby to do a sacrifice. I was like, wait a second, time out. First, you didn't say, you said, you said you didn't steal the baby. Now you're stealing the baby because you're part of a satanic cult. But you know what I saw? When he was confronted with the judge is when he told the truth. And I think that a lot of us here need to come and bring clarity to the reality we're going to be before a judge and not fudge it. While he thought he wasn't going to be before the judge, he was making his case out. But when I confronted him with saying, okay, I, could, I know the judge and I can resolve it, but you got to be truthful. He says, okay, I want to admit I'm part of a cult and we're sacrificing babies. We're stealing them from the hospital. So I'm saying, okay, that seems wicked and seems crazy. But your scenario that you don't bring to, with transparency before God is in danger of hell's fire. You're not bringing your reality. A lot of people out there are running around with, with a whole bunch of stuff. I was standing in line yesterday at the bank, and the guy in front of me, the guy, the guy was talking to him. He says, where are you from in Cuba? And he says, oh, I'm from Barahuca or Garahuca or we got no He said some, some land. And then his wife came, and when his wife was there, he asked the wife, where are you from? And she goes, I'm from Barahuca. And he is too? No, he's not. And she told... The guy that had asked him that he wasn't from where she was. He was really from another place. But the wife, when, so a lot of people are, they're, they're saying stuff and it's not part of reality. And when they get to heaven, they're gonna be, there's going to be rude awakening for all these stories. A lot of people are telling other people's, confessing other people's sin. I, I want people to understand that the day of judgment is coming. Um, Romans chapter 2, i got to hurry up. Uh, do you presume that the riches, that God's being kind, that he's forbearing, that his patience? Don't you know that his kindness, Romans chapter 2 verse 4, there's a lot of good things about God with regards to the riches of his goodness, his patience, his long-suffering. But don't they know that this all leads you, this goodness should lead you to repentance, verse 5, because, but because of your, with your hardness and unrepentant heart yeah God has a lot of good things but you're not repenting you're not living up to the line all you're doing is treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God you're going on with life without bringing to account matters in your affairs 
God is a merciful God. Repentance is available. Righteous judgment is coming. Don't continue to store up for yourself wrath. Don't continue to mount up. Matthew 12, verse 33. These trees, they're either good, bringing good fruit, or they're bad, bringing bad fruit. No one knows a tree until they know the fruit. Every tree is known by its fruit. For what is happening or not happening, verse 34, you brood of viper, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks of what it's filled of, verse 35, the good man from his good treasure brings out goodness, and the evil man from his bad treasure brings out bad things. Verse 36, I tell you the truth, on the day of judgment, people will have to give an account of every word that comes out of their mouth. Uh, even these things are going to be uh, revealed on that day. Verse 37, for by your words you're going to be justified and acquitted or found guilty. Your words will condemn you. I just want to say here that we have an awesome responsibility with bringing a contrast in our eternal destination. Those that took it serious, Matthew 5.22 says, even a word calling your brother foolish will put you in danger of hell's fire. I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother that has no cause shall be in danger of judgment, and whoever says to his brother, you idiot or you fool, or you rockhead shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell's fire. This verse, as I was an adolescent and were more tend to having the lightness of saying things to people, would always hold me in check to be careful what came out of my mouth. You don't want to end up on the wrong side of eternity because you take little what's coming out of your mouth. C.S. Lewis said like this, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those whom God says to them in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without self-choice, there could be no hell. So you have one man saying, God, your will be done. And at the end of life, God is telling other people, no, since your will was to be without me, continue on in eternity without me. You end up with the eternal condemnation in hell. Since you didn't want to make God part of your life, then he's not. In Luke chapter 16, we have the description of this man who falls into hell. And he says to the Lord in verse 27, so the rich man said to Abraham, I beg you to send Lazarus to my father's house. He finds himself in hell. And now he wants somebody to come back and tell his family, verse 28, about what's going on on the eternal landscape. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. <laughs> send Lazarus back and get my five brothers' attention so they don't come here. Guess what? My friend, that's your responsibility on this side of eternity. We need to bring, I love, Betsy last night was saying, Dad, I'm scared for you. Did you I want you to be in eternity with me. 
And you have not made that choice yet. What an awesome daughter. What an awesome daughter. She sees earthquakes in Puerto Rico. She sees all this stuff happening. And, and, and life is erratic. You don't know if in one instant, that's it. There's no more chance to preach the gospel, the good news. Listen, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a proponent on sharing the good news of the gospel. But I want to put it in the context with the fact of it's not just a luxury or an option. It's life or death. It's heaven or hell. There's no middle place. And you got to decide on this side of eternity. And if you have somebody that could set you in the context of black and white. Let's just sit down here. Because this is a matter of black and white. You guys are acting like this is uh, uh, hell's best, best kept secret by Ray Comfort. He says, if you're on an airplane and you're giving out life vests or parachutes to everybody on the airplane, everybody's like, I don't, I don't have anywhere to put my parachute. I stick it under the seat or up on the lid. It's just uncomfortable. I don't want one. But now watch this. Ladies and gentlemen, our engines have stopped. They're broken. They're on fire. And this thing is going down. Give me that. Because now I know in context that the parachute is not a luxury. It's not a convenience. It's not a war. It's not just in case. I need this to survive. So a lot of us are not preaching the gospel like that. And so we think, a lot of people that are around us think it's just, oh, my, my parents have gone crazy. They're going to that crazy church where that guy stopped being a lawyer. No, listen, my friend, heaven or hell. And I, I, I told my friend, <laughs> I told somebody last month, you're in danger of hell's wrath. You know what they did? They said, don't ever talk to me again. So I've been calling them, and he, he blocked me. He'd rather not see reality and pretend just because he's not taking my calls that he's not living hell. That he's not in, in destination to hell. Isn't that crazy? But I'd rather that than having somebody come over to my house all the time and feel comfortable and that everything's good. And then they find themselves in hell like this man. And then uh, he's telling the, tell the rest of my family to be more serious Christians than the ones I had around me. We lived in Texas for like 10 years, uh, about five years when I was small, and the, the Christian family that was with my family never talked to us about Christ. They never talked to us about the Lord, and, and we were going to hell in a handbasket. Thank God that God reached us. Jonah, chapter 3, verse 4. Let's go there very quickly. He says, Jonah began to go into the city. You know the story. The first time God told him, go into the city and preach repentance, preach judgment. And he goes, I'm not going there. These people deserve hell. And so the big fish had to come, and now this is the second part. So he told them a second time, go into the city and tell them to repent. So Jonah began to enter into the city. What's your obligation to go into the city of Miami and talk to its people? Hey, I'm going to church. Everything is fine. I'll see you guys on Saturday. We'll have a picnic. No, my friend. What is the message? He says he began to enter the city on the first day and walk. Then he cried out and said, in 40 days, Nineveh shall be destroyed now if he was a clown nobody takes him serious if he's out of his mind nobody takes him serious but what was compelling in Jonah's message for repentance that verse 5 says the people heard him and the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth and from the greatest to the least of them everybody heard this message from this man why it was compelling it was real. He took them right before the throne of God to make a decision. Verse 6, even the king, 
The word came to the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and ashes. That's called repentance. Something Jonah did got through. Even the king was able to repent. And it's a blessing to have a preacher in the land talking to you about righteousness. And then what happens next, verse 7, he issued a decree and published it. The king started proclaiming through Nineveh, by decree of the king and his noble saying, let neither man nor his animal, nor his herd, nor his flock taste anything. Everybody's fasting. Everybody is moving in the direction of God. Let them not eat or drink water. Verse 8. Why? Because God's about to either judge the city or forgive it. Let no man beast be covered with uh, let the man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily out to God. Yet let everyone turn from his evil way from the violence that's in his hands. This was a vicious, terrible city. They used to drink blood sacrifices. They were cannibals. They used to eat each other. Verse 9. They turned by decree of the king. Who can tell if God will turn and relent away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Verse 10. Glory to God. Then God saw their works and saw them turn from their evil ways and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did it. He did not do it to it. Um, my friends, let's pray that we not be disregarded as religious fools, as, as religious hypocrites, as stuffy little Christians, as self-righteous little... Let's, let's be grounded and let, let our words be weighty in this season because it's a matter of life or death to those that are around us and those of you that are here. And maybe, you know, you, you never came before that... that reality of your presence in eternity before God. Start, start being real. Father, thank you for this message and pray that we could find an opportunity to repent and to turn and to get passionate and get vibrant and make our priorities reflect our conviction and our clarities of uh, every decision we make every day that you extend your mercies over our lives. Uh, those that are family and friends that we can we can bring a message, uh, that, but, but allow us to, to illustrate and to speak with clarity what's in your word. That we can take them to those passages. Uh, Revelations 20, uh, where it says that the books are open and everyone will be, will be judged out of those books. No unclean thing will enter into the kingdom. Those who, who have found Christ and are in the new covenant and understood salvation and the cross, that we not be lukewarm, that we not be indifferent. Make us passionate, Lord, and bring those right men before us that will move us in that direction. In Jesus' name we pray, and the house of God says amen, amen, and amen. God bless you.